Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. John Working, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Always happy to be in the Center of the Universe. Me too. Uh, Center of the Universe is actually in the Center of the Universe, I believe. That's what they say. I think it's been proven, actually. It's been proven because you can stand in one place and hold your light bulb while the rest of the world rotates around you. (laughs) Falls right out. And and you did not come up with that? Somebody else came up with that? No, that was a joke that I've always heard about UVA grads. As the son of two proud Tar Heels, they stand in one place and the rest of the world will rotate around them. That's so true. I I don't know what to do with that. Uh, So uh, you started Railside Law Group a few years ago. Tell us how you started. Uh, We started in the fall winter of 2015 my partner and I uh, her name is Virginia Podboy and she and I were actually classmates briefly Um, I was a when I was in my first year she was in her last year of law school Um, and we ended up working in this thing called the Richmond Legal Incubator which was kind of a setup where you could go learn how to be a solo practitioner without really being on your own. And we had our offices next door to each other there, um, worked for a couple years, and I had had my eyes on Ashland uh, for a number of reasons, and eventually talked her into going in um, to to business with me. Uh, She actually lives in Midlothian, so it was perfect for her because she wanted to have some distance between her home and where she grocery shops in her practice. Mm. I actually live about three miles from my office, <laughs> so it's the complete opposite, which is fine, um, because that's what I was. Oh, that's part of what I was looking for. My wife and I live out here. Our children go to the local schools. Uh, she has a business in town. I went to Randolph Macon, so I've kind of been lurking in the center of the universe for about 24 years. But you first came to Ashland for college. I first came to Randolph Macon uh, in the fall of 1997 as a uh, freshman, future English major, and you know, football player. I, I was really wanting to play college football as my father did, and my grandfather did, and my brother did. And Randolph Macon afforded me that opportunity, so which was wonderful. We won the championship when I was a freshman, and um, made a lot of great friends that way. Nice. And you stayed here, obviously. I stayed here. Technically, I was gone for one year. Um, I met my wife about a month after I graduated from college. And she was the maid of honor in my brother's wedding, and Mm -hmm. I was the best man. And so she was up two weeks early to try to help with all the plans, and we kind of had that lightning bolt romance. And about six weeks after we met, um, a, a job opening came in at the school where she was working. She said, hey, man, we've got an opening for an English teacher and a football coach. You should apply. I said, well, where is it? She said, Vero Beach, Florida. We'll live right on the beach and we'll be young and have jobs. It'll be wonderful. And I said, okay. <laughs> and everybody said that I was ridiculous and we were too impulsive. but. When we had uh, a football game there, she surprised me to uh, come back up for the Randolph-Macon homecoming. And that was her first time seeing Ashland. 
She immediately fell in love with it and went, I'm ready to move back here. I want to open a photography studio, which she would end up doing three years later. And so after she had been in business for 10 years as the local photographer, I was lucky enough to become the local lawyer. Oh, okay. Nice. And uh, you stayed. What is it about this place that, that had you stay so long? I think that there's a great community about Ashland. Um, and, and Ashland still has some of those things that are, that are vestiges of, of a different time. And I'm not just talking about like fancy houses on the railroad tracks, you know, it, not too many places. Is it like the attractive real estate to be on the railroad tracks? <laughs> right. Um, but I love that we have a little pet store and Mr. Mark runs the pet store and my kids can go in and they can hold a bunny and they can look at a fish and look at a lizard and hold a bird. And... I would support that guy every day of the week over, you know, some big box store. Um, and there are a great number of citizens in Ashland who feel that way, that, you know, small business matters. Knowing the person that you do business with matters. Um, family matters. There, there's just a great sense of values. and. Um, it's it's a place that I'm grateful to be raising my children, and it's a, I'm grateful to live here. I'm grateful to do business here. And you've lived all over, right? Your dad was a uh, a football coach. That's correct. And you've lived in a few places. I have lived in eight states: um, West Virginia, North Carolina, New York, Michigan, Oklahoma, Maryland, Florida, and Virginia. Bes- Go ahead, Kevin. Ask your besides Virginia question. Oh, so what's your favorite one? Other than, other, than, other than living in Virginia, the center of the universe, favorite the, state to live in. The the only place that I lived in the longest, um, prior to living in Virginia, I lived in Oklahoma for four years. And if you're going to be a college football coach, especially in the South, you're either going to get a better job or you're going to get run out of town about every three or four years. And... So a lot of my exposure to places are brief, but I've, I've never lived in any place for 24 years, you know. What level of football coach was your dad? He was uh, mostly Division One in the NFL. When we lived in Michigan, it was because he was the receivers coach with the Lions. Oh, wow. Um, he was the head coach at Appalachian State, but usually was a coordinator or quarterbacks coach. That's cool. So Division One. When we were talking about it before we recorded, I thought he was like a high school coach moving around the country, but he was well, big he, time. He became a high school coach in the name of family stability. Right about when my older brother reached high school, um, we left Tulsa. We moved to Maryland because that's where he was raised. And my grandfather on that side of the family had just had this big heart surgery. And, you know, it was kind of like this moment of like, oh, my God, you know, you're going to lose grandparents that you never got to know. So he moved to Maryland with the idea of being, we could live in one place and go to high school. And so for me, it was fantastic because he was hands down the best high school football coach in the state, and we won a championship every year. You know? so like, there is something to having a good coach. I, I, just, I, never, I never lost in high school. You know, it, was, it was definitely the exception. Wow, that's crazy. You never lost a game in high school. We had two undefeated seasons. And then uh, my senior year, we went six and four. Part of it was because we couldn't find anybody local to play us. Wow. And so we had to travel to Steubenville, Ohio, 
we traveled to Washington, D.C. to play uh, DeMatha Catholic, who was just on another level, which I wouldn't realize until many years later when that kid, Brian Westbrook, that we played against would keep playing in the Super Bowl. And I was like, yeah, no wonder we never tackled that guy. He's <laughs> really sense. good. So... Wow, and DeMath is known for basketball, but I guess they have a pretty good football program as well. an athlete factory. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so you're a lawyer and a businessman, right? You are running a business, essentially. I would say that I'm a lawyer. You're a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a lawyer or a businessman, what's your uh, biggest challenge you've had to overcome since you started? Running a business. Tell us more. I mean, they don't, they don't teach you any of that stuff in law school. They really don't teach you how to be a lawyer in law school. They teach you about the law. Um, they teach you that the law developed, you know, over these many centuries, and a lot of the law from Virginia came from England, and we're very different than what Louisiana does because their law came from France. But, like, when you get in, I was actually telling a joke with Judge Campbell about this a couple of weeks ago. I, I remember being in front of him, and he, he just kind of reached down over the bench and chucked some paperwork at me. He was like, fill that out, and I was looking at it, and I had no idea what I was looking at much less where I was supposed to sign what I didn't know I was looking at. And, um, you know, the Hanover Bar Association has a, a, a lot of really great old lawyers, too, that'll kind of go, hey, kid, <laughs> which we were grateful for, you know, because um, everybody who's practiced law for a long time kind of has that story. Um, but even less than learning how to be a lawyer, they don't really teach you anything about how to run a business. Hmm. And so I've, I've learned a lot about how, I, how to run a business from my wife, who is just absolute knockout at it, um, and kind of figuring stuff out along the way. Yeah, you kind of have to, right? Yeah. You try something, it works great, I'll keep doing it that way, and you try something and you fail, well, I have to avoid that the next time. Right, but there's, there's, there's a time where you're kind of going through these growing pains, like probably one of our biggest challenges is, is we grew so fast and we didn't expect that. But when, when people say, well, you know, why'd you choose Ashland? The real reason is because Trip Chockley was elected the Commonwealth attorney and Frank Ivani was appointed to the bench and Judge Campbell was appointed to the bench and Willis Robertson had retired and you know, there were a couple other old guys that were looking at retiring and so there was just nobody here um, and so we were able to step in and, and fill this void. And we didn't expect the, the phone to ring as frequently as it did in the beginning. We were like, you know, we'll just kind of get in here and maybe you know, get to meet some people. But there was, there was such a need that we grew, and it was like, are we ready to hire staff? I don't know. Can we afford staff? And then you realize once you hire staff that you – you can't afford not to have staff. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and then it becomes, we can't afford not to have two staff. Um, but I would say up until this year, we didn't even market. You know, we, we didn't even have to advertise because we had great word of mouth among the community. Um, we had a 798 number, which is the <laughs> unofficial way of telling people that you're actually local. <laughs> and, you know, the community was just, was just great for us. But it, it helped that... Um, Prior to being a lawyer, I was, I was actually a high school teacher, and I did my student teaching at Patrick Henry 20 years ago. And um, when I got disenchanted by teaching, I sold uh, real estate with Lou Flanagan over at Coldwell Banker, 
who also used to be a teacher. And he was like, come with me, young man. You can do this. And so um, when, when it came around to us opening the business, I actually knew a, a, a great many people, um, all of whom were happy to send business my way. But um, a lot of them want us to do real estate closings, and we're not doing that yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's, that's something I think that we're going to try to do with some strategic growth. Get, move that direction. Humor me for a second, and I read this. How was Clarence Thomas involved in you actually wanting to become an attorney, or was he? So, um, my mother, everyone in my, my family for generations was, was either a coach or a teacher. And this goes back to the very first people from my family that got here in like the 19-teens and 1920s who all settled in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, my great-aunt Teresa married a guy named Joe Marzetti. They opened up an Italian restaurant called Marzetti's. And so like T. Marzetti, the salad dressing in the mason jar, is my great-aunt, wow. right? So everybody on that side of the family would work at Marzetti's at the same time, and they would put themselves through, through school. And so my grandmother and my great-grandmother were both classmates at Ohio State together. They graduated together. They became teachers together, same year, even though they were a generation apart. Wow. And so my mother followed in those footsteps, as did I. That's initially what I went to Randolph-Macon for. Um, and so by the time that my mother had become a principal, she was working at a school called Quince Orchard High School in um, Montgomery County, Maryland. And they had a great football team. And they had these two kids named Terrence Stevens and Jason Ankara, and they were both being recruited by the University of Nebraska. So they get on the plane and they fly out to Nebraska and they have their trip and they're, they're coming back and this, this older gentleman walks up to them and sees their letterman's jacket and says, hey, excuse me here, are you Terrence and Jason? And they're shocked that this guy in Nebraska would know who they are. And he's flying on the same flight back to D.C. with them, so they strike up conversation and they end up getting on the plane together and they're sitting in coach and the guy is sitting right in front of them. When the stewardess comes on to do the emergency announcements, somebody leans next to Terrence and goes, hey man, you know that's Justice Clarence Thomas, right? <laughs> and Justice Thomas was so like bummed that his, his anonymity had been blown and it changed the tone of the conversation. Um, and so that, that was kind of how the kids met him. And then my mother, when she was principal, she would always make the kids be in charge of their own um, graduation ceremony. And they came running in and they were like, Mrs. Working, Mrs. Working, we have the perfect graduation speaker, Clarence Thomas. And she was <laughs> like, yeah, you graduate in June, and that's like the busiest time of year, so you should get a plan B. But they wrote the Supreme Court. Justice Thomas agreed to be the speaker. It was the first time he ever took a day off from the court while he was in town for the entirety of his, his uh, tenure on the court. And he gave a wonderful speech. Um, and then my brother and I went up there to, to, to meet with him because it was such a unique opportunity. My brother is an attorney in Memphis who is uh, fantastic uh, in what he does and has many published cases and a case that's like been reported on Dateline about how great he was. Um, Maybe it was 2020. It was one of those. Um, but he, uh, 
he handed Justice Thomas a, a copy of Justice Thomas's autobiography, and they were talking about a case, and Justice Thomas signed it, never stop helping others. And then he looked at me, and he goes, and what do you do? <laughs> and I had just quit teaching, and I was unemployed and <laughs> flat broke, and I was so ashamed, you know, uh, that I, 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 was, uh, I you know, stuttered and stammered, and I didn't have a good answer. And my whole family was like, dude, you need to stop, like, holding out. You'd, you'd be good at this job. You should go do it. Um, and so w when I first started law school, I, I did my first year at the uh, Catholic University of America. And I had a constitutional law professor named Mark Rienzi who always, you know, knows a lot of those justices. And he's brilliant. Um, unanimous opinion that he's brilliant. But he would work with Justice Scalia teaching the law to seminary students. And Justice Thomas was like, well, hey, man, how come he gets to talk to the students? Why don't I get to talk to the students? And Renzi was like, I'd be happy to bring my con law class. Um, and so he did. And we go up and, you know, we're all doing our, our handshakes under John Jay in the East Conference Room. And he's like, nice to meet you. I'm Justice. Said, well, Justice, this is actually the second time we've met. And I told him who I was. And he absolutely remembered every detail. And then he looked at me and he went, your mother never called me. I told her that I would mentor some, some of her students, and she never called. I'm like, oh, Justice, I'm so sorry. You know, she, she probably just thought you were being polite. He goes, I gave her my word. You make sure she calls me. And so I had to go back and be like, Mom, you know, the Supreme Court is kind of upset with you right now. <laughs> but then he did, and he, he spent a couple of years like mentoring high school students. Oh, nice. So he, you know, Regardless of whatever reputation he has for being a grump on the bench, he was absolutely wonderful conversationalist, you know, very endearing and, and, and really, really went out of his way to help a lot of kids in, in that area. It was, it was really cool meeting him. And I've still got that picture of us in my office. And what did he write in the book? Never, never Stop Helping Others? He signed it, Never Stop Helping Others, That's which awesome. I think is a good mantra for, yes. for somebody who's a lawyer. And, he, and he's living it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. That's a great story. You got to meet him twice. I had to meet him twice, yeah. I actually, when I, was, when I went back to school, I was in my 30s, and so they said, well, hey, we'll give you a scholarship if you write the best essay about why you decided to go back to school. And so I wrote that story about Justice Thomas, and then, like, Catholic gave me 10 grand, and that was awesome. <laughs> you know, it's a great return. They, they, yeah, they mailed my, my essay off to Justice Thomas, and he wrote a nice letter about it. So it was pretty cool. That's but, very cool. You know, it was, it was <laughs> the short answer is, you know, tell us about just Thomas and why you became a learner. It was like shame. <laughs> you know, and what do you do? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm unemployed. Right. <laughs> and so. you, you, you're on the highest bench in the land. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. so. uh, good times. Uh, is real estate work on the horizon for 2021, maybe next year? I, well, yeah, I think we want to move that direction. My, my partner uh, is really more interested in being you know, a corporate business attorney, transactional attorney, wills and estates. That's, that's what she loves doing. I'm kind of the complete opposite um, in that I love going to trial. Mm. And it's like the closest that I can find of getting that, you know, competitive rush like I would feel playing college football. And, you know, I, I was in court this morning and I, I – thought I kind of had a stinker of a case but you know it's it's the exact same feeling like before the opening kickoff you're like 
so we just got to get this thing going and, and hit somebody and then it'll all go away. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm a junkie for that, for going to trial, whether it's, you know, criminal law, traffic law, family law, custody cases. I just, that's, that's, that's what I love the most. So, so for your firm, it sounds like you guys are 50-50 corporate versus uh, going to court. I would uh, say we're really a general practice. And it, it kind of goes back to what we spoke about earlier with so many of the other attorneys had you know, retired or, or become judges or moved on to something else that, you know, we, we didn't intend to be a general practice, but, you know, people come in and say, Hey, you know, can you do this? Well, yeah, we, we can. Um, we're smart enough to know that if we don't know how to do it, we know who does. And we say, well, you should go talk to, you know, Chris Yeah, (laughs) about that. But, uh, you know, but between the two of us, we really cover the basis. How much of your work is criminal when you go to court? For me? Yeah. 60%. Really? It's that high? 66%, maybe. I thought you were going to say 20%. No, man. Do you have any fun stories that you can talk about on a recorded podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I can't really talk about them until my clients, you know, move on to the next realm. Yeah, you want want to uh, keep your client base. Right. Yeah. All right. Right on. It's funny, like, and, and... I, I say that like one time we went to first Thursdays and we were going to watch, you know, Felix and the band and Ned Henson and all that. And, uh, I was sitting at the bar with a couple of people and then they walk up and they're like, Hey man, this is my lawyer. <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about? He's my lawyer. And then like three people, I was like, what are you guys doing? You know, like, we don't talk about this. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> scene from you a know, movie right there. That's right. great. But I, my, you know, my wife will have that all the time. Somebody will walk up and they're like, Oh, we're so grateful that John's helping us with this. And yeah, John hasn't told me about that. Really? <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't talk about you know attorney-client privilege. It's pretty important. It's supposed to be re- real, yeah. What in a town this size? Oh my gosh! Oh my god! Everybody man. knows like, everybody, right? Yeah, you can't talk about work. You know? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't trying to set a trap for. No, me. <laughs> I know. This is, you know, it is what it is. But some of them, some of them are maybe not podcast appropriate. <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> Sounds right. Maybe when you retire right. someday. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like one of your favorite topics is football. Who's, oh, sure. who's your favorite college team besides Randall? In, in my family, we always answer that question with like, it depends on who's coaching. Because, you know, dad still has friends that are out there and be like, oh, we're rooting for that guy. But no, he was a jerk to dad. We're not rooting <laughs> for that. You know, so. So it bounces around. It does bounce around. Okay. But, but the sky is tar. Oh, yeah. And and all of my cousins went to Alabama. So did they play? No, they're all women. Oh. Um, but like when my dad left West Virginia to go to App, no, he went to Wake. He went to West Virginia, then Wake Forest. And the young coach who moved into Dad's office was this new up and comer named Nick Saban. Oh. So <laughs> we always we always cheer for the Tide. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I cheer for the tie too, and I don't come by it honestly. I just I think they run a fantastic program, and yeah, they recruit better than everybody else because they're better at it yeah. than everybody else. No kidding. I think they have like fifty recruiters on staff or something Nuts. crazy. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. But I do not like the college football playoff. It should be sixteen teams. I just like the bowls. Uh, I, I like the bowls. Too. I mean, when playing Division three football, where we do have a playoff, and you went, there's going to be four teams left at the end: Wisconsin, Whitewater, Mount Union. Mary Harden Baylor, 
and somebody else. And everybody that played that level of football knew that was gonna, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And now here we are a couple years later, and it's going to be Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Clemson. somebody else. Yeah, Clemson. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, Oklahoma is in there a lot, and they tend to—they haven't played in the championship game yet. No, not yet. It tends to be Alabama and Clemson. They keep spitting out right. Heisman Trophy quarterbacks, though. Right. Hmm. That's Jeez. fair. That's fair. Do you have a favorite pro team? The Ravens. The Ra- okay. Oh, wow. All right, you can yeah. buy that. That's a yeah. I, my grandfather was actually drafted by the Colts way, way back when. He was the first All-American football player to go to Washington and Lee. So my dad was actually born in Lexington in Stonewall mm. Jackson's living room because there were too many babies being born. They didn't have enough room in the hospital. That's so crazy. They That's made a- the Stonewall Jackson house a birthing hospital. And then Coach got drafted by the Colts. But the same year that they drafted my grandfather, they also drafted Bobby Lane, wow. who had become a Hall of Famer for the Detroit Lions, and this other guy named Y.A. Tittle, who would be a Hall of Famer for the Giants. And Coach was like, I'm never going to play. I can never beat <laughs> these guys up. You know, luck of the draw. Wow. Yeah, so he, he was a Colt. I mean, was he torn when they went to Indy? Because he played as a Baltimore Colt. I asked him, and he, he said, you know, that year that Peyton Manning won it, that he was rooting for the old blue. Yeah, yeah it's but, a weird thing. Yeah. When when we moved to Baltimore, all those guys were still around, though. And I played against um, Chad Unitas in, mm. in sports. And when when my grandfather was coaching at that high school in the 50s and 60s, the Colts didn't even have practice facilities. Mm. And so this was like, you know, an 800-acre campus, all-boys military high school. And they would be like, hey, can you line off another field? And so they would. And, you know, it would be the high school on this field and the Baltimore Colts on the other field. And they'd wow. Be, I mean, there was like the 59 Colts, you know, and the, you know, Super Bowl champion Colts. Yeah. So, like, when, when I moved back, the, those were like regular living room guests, Jim Parker and that's you know, really Raymond cool. Raymond Barry. Oh my God, it's awesome. Do you yeah. ever want to? You have the urge to get back into football? Sometimes, yeah, I do miss it. I, I miss. Strangely enough, I miss practice. I I, wow. I, I didn't play <laughs> like, in college. I played through high school. I did not miss practice. Like there's so much, but when you're a coach, like practice is really fun, and there's always something, you know, ridiculous that's going to happen. You know, there's there's going to be all these different personalities that are that you kind of need to blend and learn how to make into a unit. Um, but the best jokes always happened in practice, you know. Right. You have a good joke that happened in practice? No. Again, we've got to stay <laughs> podcast yeah. appropriate. That's why Hard Knock is such a good show. Right. Yeah. No, but stuff. the, uh, I, you know, I still keep in touch with a lot of those kids I coached and a lot of the guys I coached with. And, um, it was fun. I mean, I, when I was coaching around here, I was coaching at Verona. Mm. And, I mean, we had we had one team where – I think there were like 24 kids that went to Division One yeah. that were on that, t- were, you know, between the sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And I mean, I mean, like Michigan, Florida State, Syracuse, Virginia Tech. It was just awesome. Yeah. Anybody can be a good coach coaching those kids. Yeah, well, they've, they've had kids go yes. to the NFL. No Rob problem. has. Yeah. yeah. Mike Robb, probably Mike Robinson being maybe probably the, the biggest name. Yeah. 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 Good times. Uh, do you have a fond memory from playing at Macon? Beating Emory and Henry for our homecoming my freshman year was just the coolest thing ever and it you know it didn't happen because of me very deliberately by a coaching move <laughs> um but they were ranked number one in the country and they came to our homecoming and it was kind of like for all the marbles ran off macon versus henry henry as it was this past spring and uh 
we had a, a, a freshman kicker named Kevin Churwa who would go on to become like the all-time leading scorer and I was the freshman deep snapper mm. and then we had a senior quarterback who was the conference player of the year and the coach looked and was like I can either put this in the hands of two freshmen or we can just go for it on fourth down <laughs> <laughs> and he went for it and Sidney Chapel threw a touchdown pass to Sean Eaton in the quarter in the end zone and we went up by four and ran out the clock and everybody went nuts in Ashland that night. Oh, I bet. It Emory, was awesome. Emory and Henry, being number one in the country, it, most of their incoming male uh, freshmen are football players. Right. Like like 80% of them. Yeah. Um, and they're going to Division two now. That's right. how serious they are about their yeah, program. Yeah, I've got it. One of, my, one of my buddy's sons is going there next year. Bryson Lutz. Okay. So, good luck to Bryson. Yeah, good year. luck to Bryson. Yeah. Absolutely. That's cool. You, oh, and what's your fondest memory as a coach? Oh, man. Um... So, when I went to Lee Davis, we did not have 22 Division I football players on one team. <laughs> they still um, don't. Yeah. But we had a lot of kids who really, really would just try as hard as they could. And uh, we had a coach named Zach Hayden who came in. Uh, it was his first time being a head coach, but he probably knows more about football than, like, everyone I've ever coached with. And we had a game, we were hosting Highland Springs, who's just better than us. Um, they had better players and um, we managed to hang tough. And we got towards the end of the game in the fourth quarter and it was like third and 10 or something like that. And they got a couple yards, but there was a penalty. And if we accepted the penalty, it was gonna be third and 11. And if we declined the penalty, it was going to be fourth down and five and a half. And, you know, as a coaching staff, we were like, dude, I don't think we can stop them twice. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we can stop them once. And uh, we declined the penalty, and everybody thought we were stupid. Zach called a corner blitz off their sideline. The kid came clean as a whistle, Tyler Moody, and hit their quarterback in the back, dropped him for a sack on fourth down. And we took over and ran out the clock. And I think that was the first time that Lee Davis had beaten Highland Springs in like forever, you know, more than a decade. Uh, and I don't know if that they've beat him since. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> probably not. But yeah. that one was that one was pretty fun. We did. It was, that? It was 2010. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That was that was that was the one where you can go. We we blew a couple because of the coaching, but that one we won. It's you know? it's awesome when a, a severe underdog beats a, a team that's perennially just be right. a world beater yeah. kind of thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, just, just to close, uh, tell us a little bit more about your uh, wife and two kids. So my wife is better known as Jessica Robertson. And she has a photography studio, um, 307 England Street. We're 307B England Street. So Jessica and I share a building, which is awesome. And uh, two little girls. One of them goes to Gandhi. One of them goes to Henry Clay. And um, they are... They are the queens of the center of the universe, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. And everyone will bow down to their wrath, especially the younger one. Um, but yeah, Je Jessica, I mean, as much as any reason is the reason why I'm living in Ashland and operating a business in Ashland. She had that vision in 2001. She executed it in about 2005. Um, and she's, you know been here where a lot of other photographers will 
kind of do like specialty shoots and things like that. She just takes pictures of people in Ashland. And then when she submits them for competition, they get put in an international loan collection, you know? Mm -hmm. So she's among photographers kind of become this national brand of people want to do it, how she does it. Um, and that's why when I was talking about you know, learning how to run a business from my wife, I, I would like to learn how to do it. Like she does yeah, it, to be na nationally known. Yeah. Even though it's a, you know, a different, different type of practice. But, um, yeah, when, when we go home, it's about three and a half miles. And, you know, school's halfway in between. And so kind of our whole, it's a tiny universe. You know, it's only... Well, it is just the center. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate you yeah, doing thanks this. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the talk. Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.